Hello, this is T.G. Wolf, and today's author is Jim Winter. The Dogs of Beaumont Heights is the explosive sequel to Jim Winter's Holland Bay. Fentanyl is the latest scourge of Monticello streets. A detective, a dealer, and an ambitious police official will confront it as it changes their fates. For Detective Jessica Branson, it threatens her career. For Marcus Lincoln, it's his ticket to the top of the game as he moves up in the game that still rules Holland Bay. For Derek Roberts, it's a political football as he navigates between two ambitious candidates for mayor. They collide when a maligned breed of dog kills a little girl in the Beaumont Heights neighborhood. Find The Dogs of Beaumont Heights at your favorite online retailer. Welcome to Mysteries to Die For. I am T.G. Wolf, and I'm here with Jack, my piano player and producer. This is a podcast where we combine storytelling with original music to put you at the heart of a mystery. All of our stories are structured to challenge you to beat the detective to the solution. These are arrangements, which means instead of word-for-word readings, you get a performance that's meant to be heard. Jack and I perform these live, front to back, no breaks, no fakes, no retakes. This is Season 7, Games People Play. Games are about competition, conducted according to rules with participants working toward a goal. Games are part of every culture and are one of the oldest forms of social interaction and engagement. Games can be fun, challenging, and exhilarating. They can also be intense, cutthroat, and lethal. This season, our authors have fashioned deadly games for your entertainment. This is Episode 3, Cards Against Humanity is the featured game. This is Cards Against Jake by Jim Winner. So Jack, I'd just like to take a moment and welcome Jim Winter to the Mysteries to Die For family. Hello, Jim Winter. Welcome. I will be making jokes about Bob Summer. <laughs> Not a real person. Just, I like Bob Summer just as much as I like Jim Winter. <laughs> With that, well, what what, what uh, setting do you have on your piano today? On your keyboard? I have Humblesgit. What? H-U-M-B-L-S-G-T. I don't know what hum stands for, but it's a blues guitar. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, I asked him to play something a little bit grungy because this is Cards Against Humanity. So yeah. if, if you're a fan of, say, like super clean cozies, um, this may push your envelope a little bit just because, well, it is Cards Against Humanity. Yes, it is. They're so, so funny. Okay, I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> All right, we'll get into the story. The Last V Card. I like it better when Jake deals, said Anna Friedman, the shortest person at the table. Someone had once described her as an attractive fireplug for her compact build. It took most of her adult life to realize that it wasn't an insult. Because he pulls better questions, asked Vic Holmes, the party's host. Because she knows he can't play a card that says vagina on it. This from her partner, Melanie Dunlop a tall, willowy woman sitting close to Anna. Seriously, dude, I know it's three women to two guys, but did you ever graduate 10th grade? Jake Randall, even taller than Melanie with thinning hair, 
Shuffle the black deck for Cards Against Humanity. Swaying a little bit, he said in a dreamy baritone, well, some people have no sense of humor. The brunette next to Vic looked up at him. You don't think my vagina's dusty, do you? She wrung her hands as she talked. Regina, it's a game, Vic sighed. Then he glared at Jake. Maybe you should learn to play it. Why did you have to invite him? Regina snapped. Vic gave her a sideways glance. Um, it was your idea? Anna did not even bother to hide her eye roll. She wanted to believe that Regina Mallory was kidding, but the woman seemed to whine about everything. Trying to look interested, for Melanie's sake, she asked, So what do you do for a living, Jake? He grinned, looking a little like Budhead, as he handed the cards to Vic. I work in HR. Well, Melanie said, at least you don't have far to walk for your disciplinary hearing. Jake smirked. Oh, I never crack jokes like that at work. I'd probably keep them to myself if I hadn't smoked a fatty before coming over here. Anna couldn't hold back anymore. She reached into her purse and then slammed her badge on the table. Care to elaborate, she asked. Like she would care. Pot had recently become legal in Ohio, but Jake's deer-in-the-headlights look gave her great pleasure. Don't let him kid you, a gruff voice from the kitchen said. A man in his mid-forties, clad in a gray work shirt with Stan stitched over the breast, popped his head up from beneath the sink. He's an asshole when he's straight and sober. I know. I had to meet for two hours with management's company's lawyer because of him. Vic, who had been jovial since Anna arrived, now sounded like her mom when a party didn't go as planned. That why the sink isn't done yet? Stan pointed at Jake. Yeah, him. If I hadn't been getting ripped a new one by the owners because of him, you'd have had it done this afternoon. Hannah smiled at Jake. And yet your poll numbers keep dropping, despite your stunning Keith Richards voice. Why is that? And what is between you and Regina lately, Vic added. She steal your parking spot again? Jake shrugged and waved his hand in a circle. Next card, please. Gladly. Vic drew the top black card and scanned it, and he laughed. Next time on Dr. Phil, how do you talk to your child about... Everyone threw down their cards. Regina's, as usual, was the most timid choice. Smashing all the pottery in Pottery Barn, Vic frowned at his girlfriend. Really, Regina? For once, she smiled and relaxed. A girl's got to have some kind of fun. She glared at Jake. Don't say it. What? Jake somehow missed the final T at the end. Sounds like every weekend at college. Anna's card came next. The beautiful sport of Turkish oil wrestling, she read. What can I say? I'm a chick with a dude operating system. So that's why you roll over and snore when you're finished, Melanie said, who laughed as Anna playfully punched her. Like my card's any better. Deflowering the princess. Stay in your lane, Jake said. Here's the winner. On the table, in the collection of cards Jake had played, all of them somehow used the V-word. He had thrown, finally, down something different. Vic looked surprised as he read it. Dinner with Jeffrey Dahmer. From the kitchen, Stan bellowed, You son of a bitch! That's not funny! Anna gave Vic a cocked eyebrow. Vic shook his head. This one got impatient over the smell in his ventilation and called Fox 18. 
told the reporter it was like living next door to Jeffrey Dahmer. Hilarious, Jake said, now swaying from the three beers atop his herbal recreation. Yeah, Stan muttered. Until I got called into corporate about it. Seems the CEO didn't find it hilarious. Anna stood and stretched, then grabbed her badge. Guys, I'm going to hit the john. Play around without me. Vic turned to Regina. Honey, why don't we do a round of bourbon? The couple rose and went into the kitchen, really a kitchenette. Anna did not stick around to hear the rest, especially Vic and Regina bickering as they jostled each other and Stan as they dug out the liquor. It was bad enough the sound of Regina's high-pitched voice followed her down the hall. In the bathroom, Anna went through the motions, as if anyone didn't know the real reason she disappeared. Once situated, she pulled out her phone and then her Kindle app. Time, she decided, to start on the latest Gareth Powell science fiction novel. Anna had always locked herself in the bathroom with a book. Her siblings would say that she'd gone to the, quote, Christian Science Reading Room. She made it halfway through the first chapter when Regina's shrill scream penetrated the door. No, not Regina's. That was Melanie. The phone went back into her purse, her hand resting on her badge. In the living room, Anna found Melanie, pale as a ghost, standing by the table where they played. Stan and Regina both stared at the floor, jaws agap. Vic knelt over Jake, who lay on the floor, eyes wide with fear. Looks like a seizure, Vic said. Anna rushed over and knelt. Mel, call 911. Vic, what happened? I don't know, he said. Jake started complaining he couldn't breathe, and then he collapsed. Adult white male, Melanie droned, unwittingly imitating Anna when she was on duty, complained of breathing problems, then collapsed. She paused. Yes, he's still alive. Oh, Melanie was a keeper. Anna had taught her well. Standing, Anna took in the room. The cards lay where they had been when she left the room. Regina stood next to the table. Anna noticed that she'd put a drink next to her seat. Everyone had one. Jake's had spilled. All but Anna's had, who puts cream in bourbon? She had no time to entertain the thought, though. Putting the badge on her belt, she said, everyone, stay where you are. Don't touch anything. Don't move anything. This is a potential crime scene. Stan grunted something under his breath. Really? I'm just here to fix... He reached over to pick up a bottle sitting next to the sink. Don't touch that, said Anna. It might be evidence. Lady, I was just... Stan stopped when she held up her badge. Until an officer arrives, said Anna. I'm the first responder. She studied the bottle from where she stood. It was strychnine. Detective Anna As Jake Randall succumbed to whatever felled him, Anna snapped pictures with her phone. The kitchen, the drinks, even Vic trying to revive Jake. And the cards against humanity. She had to photograph the cards. For whatever reason, the Vic declared for whatever reason, Vic declared on the first deal the cards would be grouped by whoever dealt them. That was not how the rules went, but Anna liked it when someone made up their own rules. At least she did until her deal, and Jake had played yet another V-card. A vagina that leads to another dimension, she had read aloud. It did not embarrass her, but the joke had gone stale. How did he get so many of those cards anyway? Did people stack decks and cards against humanity? 
Then again, Jake played cards more personally offensive than generally. On the whole, they didn't even hold the shock value of most of the deck. But he not only played against two lesbians and his neighbor's girlfriend, he played the cards with all the gusto of a stoner frat boy. Well, she thought, he was stoned when he arrived. She photographed the drinks as well. All but her drink had cream in it. She suspected Melanie's hand in that. Melanie herself would go along to get along, but knowing Anna would gag on the concoction, she probably warned Vic to serve Anna's whiskey straight. Gordo Pearson arrived from Homicide. A big black man with the defense linebacker's build, he stopped when he saw Anna, badge clipped to her belt. So, decided to do some real police work? I go to the John for five minutes, said Anna, and this one dies on me. It was an accident, Regina shrieked. The paramedics finished bundling Jake and covered his face. The lead stopped as his partners wheeled the deceased out to the elevator. Called the coroner, Agarwal's on tonight, dead at the scene. Congratulations, said Anna. You got a red case on your board. Gordo stared at her for a moment. You don't seem too broken up by your friend. Anna spread her hands. What can I say? When the badge goes on, so does my sense of gallows humor. Besides, I never met the guy before tonight. He's Vic's friend. He's dead, Stan growled from the chair where he sat in the living room. Can I go now? Who's this? asked Gordo. Anna nodded in Stan's direction. Stan Cheswitz, building manager, came to fix the sink, brought the murder weapon. She pointed at the kitchenette where the bottle of rat poison still stood in plain view. I didn't do anything, said Stan, except call him an asshole. Gordo ignored him. You realize you, too, are a witness. And a suspect, said Anna. Where do you see the cards that Jake played? Cards? As in poker? Gordo asked. Melanie had drifted up alongside Anna, slipping a protective arm across the shorter woman's shoulder. Against humanity. Now that's a sick-ass game if I ever saw one, said Gordo. And I wasn't invited? Anna shrugged. I wanted to do a jazz club tonight. She looked up at Melanie. Bet you wish you'd listen to me more. I'm just tired of hearing Tony Bennett all the time, said Melanie. Gordo and Anna took everyone to the Rock Ridge Division, which serviced Monticello's Western Borough. A uniform read each of them their rights before taking them to a separate interview room. Anna hated calling them that. Despite the edicts from the commissioner's office, her own squad still called their rooms interrogation. Mere witnesses got the nice rooms. The rest stank of old tobacco and, on musty nights, piss and sweat. I'm going to let you talk to Melanie and record the conversation, said Gordo. Everyone says she was sitting at the table when it happened, so that narrows our suspects down to three. Also, if she can firmly eliminate you from that room in a statement, you can work this. Why wouldn't I work this? Anna asked. Right now, your girlfriend saw what happened, Gordo said. Present or not, unless someone saw her get up and grab that bottle of strychnine. Slowly, Anna nodded. Fine, I suppose I'll be sleeping on the couch tonight. Gordo raised an eyebrow. She not like being with a cop? Anna shook her head. I think only Branson on our squad has a boyfriend who doesn't mind. He gets to dote on her when she gets home. 
She sat alone in the interview room. Melanie's hair had started to wilt, Anna's term for when strands began escaping her attempts to tame it. The taller woman also had bags under her eyes. Why did they Mirandize me? Anna stood in the doorway before entering. Everyone in that apartment is a suspect, technically even me, though murders committed on the john are rare, and I think we can agree my arms and legs are too short to reach from there. She tapped an ear to indicate somebody was listening in. Melanie nodded. So what now? Tell me your part of the story, said Anna. Where were you? What did you see? Melanie tried to tame her hair again. Well, you dashed off to the bathroom to have some alone time with your Kindle. Kindle app, Anna corrected. Kind of pointless, pointless to be a device solely for. Melanie put up her hand. I get it. May I finish? Vic and Regina got up to make drinks. For whatever reason, Regina insisted on bourbon and cream. I don't get that. Brandy and cream, Hennessy and cream, Jim Beam? They're your friends, Mel. Go on. Melanie sighed. So I'm left alone with Jake, which was like having both Beavis and Butthead in one body. Anyway, he was going on and on about some jazz musician you like when they returned. That building guy, Stan, he stayed in the kitchen grumbling. How long does it take to fix a sink, anyway? I don't know, said Anna. Depends on what's in the drain. She circled her hand for, Eleanor to, for Melanie to continue. So what happened next? Well, they came back with the drinks. Regina made a point of setting a drink with nothing in it by your seat. But Vic insisted we do a toast, even though everyone knew you wanted to finish chapter one before you pretended to flush and not wash up. Anna flipped her the bird. Melanie smirked. I love you too, dear. We all drank a toast. Then Jake started breathing funny. He started sweating. He stood up acting like he was choking, and then he collapsed. Did everyone pick up their own drinks, Anna said, or did somebody serve them? Oh, Regina served them, Melanie said. Anna turned and motioned for someone to enter. A Rockridge Division uniform stepped inside. She asked him, did anyone take that glass from the deceased? Did anyone take the glass that the deceased drank from? The B cop said, still in evidence getting sorted. Why? Call CSI and ask them if they started analyzing the samples from the glass yet. Ask them if the victim's glass had strychnine. She stopped and she thought about it. And print the bottle from the kitchen. I expect the building manager's prints on it, but did anyone else touch it? Gordo met her in the Rock Ridge's bullpen. Most of the night detectives had gone out on calls, leaving the desks open. He frowned at her. Anna, you can't go ordering labs yet. You're not technically working the case. I'm on duty. She punctuated this by biting an apple that she pilfered from the break room. Or am I? With a long sigh, Gordo said, Based on your conversation with your girlfriend, I think we can rule you out. Everyone says you made a beeline for the John. He gave her a crooked smile. But you didn't score any points with the CSI interns making them work late to get strychnine off of that glass. Wah, Anna cried without enthusiasm, rolling her eyes. How long do you think? Cordo laughed. Unlike a couple of your pals over in special investigations, the lab techs, impound lot attendants, and parking enforcers aren't terrified of you. Still, it's a pretty common poison. The Emmy won't have the results on Jake until morning, but if we get the results back in a couple hours, the autopsy will just be confirmation. You think they'll have him done by morning? 
Unless someone high up redballed the case, Anna had never heard of same-day autopsies, not in Monticello. The city, held the county, had more corpses than the metal examiners could had handle. Killed in the presence of a cop, said Gordo. The deputy ops is going to want this off of the books by noon tomorrow, or at least sewn up. The faster we move, the less likely this makes the news. For that is her name. Vic Holmes scowled at Gordo Pearson as Anna watched through the one-way glass. She had known Vic for as long as she'd lived with Melanie, but she did not know him well. Still, she'd never seen him this angry. You read me my rights like some two-bit corner boy? He snapped at Pearson. What the hell is this? Am I under arrest? Gordo folded his hands in front of him, patiently waiting for Vic to rant himself out. Did you actually hear the words, you're under arrest? No? Then you're a person of interest, which means you could either be a suspect or merely a witness. I have a list of three suspects, all of whom admit they were in the kitchen with the liquor and the poison. I'd like to narrow that down. We've established Detective Freeman was in the bathroom when Jake Randall collapsed. We've also established that Melody Dunlap had been sitting at the table while you and Miss Mallory. Why not call her Regina, he said. That's her name. Without missing a beat, Gordo started again. We've established that Miss Dunlop remained at the dining table while you and Regina Mallory, that's her name, fixed drinks in the kitchen. All of you confirmed that Mr. Cheswitz, Stan, since that's his name, had already been in the kitchen working on the sink. Do you wish to change your earlier statement supporting these facts? Vic swallowed. No, sir. Good, Gordo said. I'm missing UFC for this, so if you want to get on my good side, start talking. Who poured the drinks? I did, Vic said. And where was the liquor stored, asked Gordo. Vic's expression suggested he thought that was a stupid question before letting out a, oh, he added, cabinet next to the sink. Gordo grunted and made a note, and whose idea was it to put cream in the bourbon? Mine, Vic folded his arms as though that ended the conversation. Gordo snorted, what is wrong with you, man? Vic spread his hands and in a bad Irish accent said, I don't know, I was really drunk at the time. Bullshit, thought Anna. You probably got high with Jake before he showed up for the party. Once again, why didn't she insist more on the jazz club? Melanie would have gotten bored and asked to leave early. Work is going to suck tomorrow. She noticed Gordo's mask of seriousness had slipped back into place. So who put the cream in, he asked. I handed it to Regina, said Vic. Then I fiddled with the ice maker to get ice. One of Gordo's eyebrows went up. And why didn't you put cream in Detective Freeman's drink? Vic loosened his arms some. Really? You know Anna and you have to ask that? Besides, Melanie insisted Anna get her straight. You got that right, Anna thought. Gordo gave him a cold smile. I know Detective Freeman from work. Homicide frequently hands off cases to her squad if it pertains to their mandate. A dead party guest is most likely not a Gainland slang in Holland Bay, so you get my charming company. He pushed an iPad toward Vic. These are the cards that have been played. Using a pen, he tapped the different stacks. 
Now, you decided as host to keep each person's answers together. So, from left to right, these are Regina's, Melanie's, Detective Friedman's, Jake's, and yours. Now, most of these cards are generally offensive, but they don't show any pattern. He allowed himself a half-smile. In fact, I didn't know Detective Friedman had a sense of humor. Anna flipped in the bird from behind the glass. Up yours, Gordo. Gordo pointed to Jake's cards. Now, Mr. Randall's, Jake's, for that is his name. Don't push it, Gordo, Anna muttered silently. He's seconds away from calling a lawyer, just for spite. Three of his cards have the word vagina on them. But his first one said, what would Jesus do? You were the dealer, Gordo asked. Yeah, said Vic. It was a random card like any other. Anna remembered the black card. I found out the hard way that you can't cheer a friend up with... She had chosen burning down the house as her answer. Then Regina dealt, said Gordo. He played my dusty vagina. How did she react? She did take it personally, said Vic. I don't know if you've noticed, but I do live with a high-strung woman. Melanie and Anna just laughed it off. Speaking of Melanie, Gordo continued, Miss Dunlap, when she dealt, he played the mayor of my vagina. Did he make any lewd comments toward her or Detective Friedman? Vic scoffed. Jake asked Mel how Anna held her liquored. The punchline he was hoping for was, by my ears. Melanie just smiled at him and said, like you know how that works. So, Gordo said, I think we can establish Jake Randall had a juvenile sense of humor. He tapped the fourth set of cards in Jake's set. This one does not surprise me, and not because it's genitalia reference. Vic read aloud, a vagina that leads to another dimension. Yeah, I'd have played that on her deal too if I had it. The girl's a sci-fi nut and even read a book where that was the premise. Gordo held up his hand. Stop, man. Bad enough I have to listen to her when she read Starship Troopers. Would you like to more know more? Anna really wanted to poke her head in the door and ask that. How did Detective Friedman react? Asked Gordo. Vic shrugged. You know Anna, nothing phases her. She did start one of her I'm a lesbian, so what responses, but Stan came in to fix the sink, so I dealt again. Which brings us to the last card, Gordo said. You told this Stan lost his temper when you read this one out loud. <laughs> Vic chuckled. Dinner with Jeffrey Dahmer. Well, yeah, Jake shouldn't have called Channel 18, but the Dahmer comment on the air was funny. Only it got Stan into hot water with management. Jake had the card to play, so he thought he'd play it with Stan looking on from the kitchen. Besides, he was out of cards referencing women's private parts, or men's for that matter. Gordo leaned back in his chair, hands folded on his chest. So tell me, Vic, whose prince am I going to find in that strychnine bottle? Stan's, Vic said, now stone-faced. That elicited a cock brow from Gordo. I'd like to speak to an attorney, said Vic. Either he did it, said Anna, or he's covering up for Regina. Or he's scared and he thinks we'll railroad him, said Gordo. Never estimate the power of paranoid witness to wreck a case. He acts guilty, said Anna, but I really think he's protecting Regina. Gordo screwed up his face. That vapid princess? I don't think she has it in her. We're eliminated suspects, she said. Let's lean on Stan. Now, Gordo asked. 
Trust me, Detective Pearson, I can annoy people into talking. That's why they don't let me out of Holland Bay Station. Gordo shook his head. I thought that was because you arrested the council president's wife for a DUI. Yeah, Anna said. I'm really good at it. Stan's no good, rotten, very bad day. Detective Anna Friedman had a talent, which she kept mostly changed to her desk in special investigations. She could get anyone, anywhere, to cough up case-related information at any time of day. Once, she got the CEO of a major downtown corporation on the phone at 3 a.m. He came down from the chief's office for it, but it solved the case. But then CEOs did not like to be bothered during normal business hours, never mind in the dead of night. Ignoring a legitimate request like pay my damn insurance claim might result in illegal action or bad publicity or both. Farther down the food chain, she found that those with information she needed would just talk to get her to stop interrupting their evenings. Since the pandemic, she found she could shame people into remotely accessing their offices. It took longer, but the threat of a warrant from a grouchy judge or bad publicity loosened tongues. For the more stubborn, she had a weapon beloved by law enforcement everywhere, the one that terrified even the President of the United States, obstruction of justice. Stan Cheswood's boss needed no such persuasion. He had an axe to grind, and Anna had get, just given him permission to grind it. The thing is, Martin Yarborough growled through the phone and maybe three or four old musky bears. That whole raccoon incident could have been solved in a day, and he couldn't find it. All he had to do was call our office and we'd have sent out our service. So why didn't he? asked Anna. Stan hated that Jake Randall guy. Yarborough paused. The gurgling sound of someone swallowing beer came back through the phone. Sorry, bit parched. Anyway, I don't know if you met the guy, but he can be an asshole, but he is harmless. More like a frat boy who doesn't know when something's not funny. We've met. Anna knew she didn't need to say more. Then you know, he said. But Stan? He's a frustrated man, a little too into his job. But this Dahmer thing? Yeah, that gave the company a black eye. So you might say, as a wise man once said, he's on double secret probation. What does that mean exactly? Anna realized even the script writers from the movie didn't know, so why should anyone else? So why are you calling about Stan? asked Yarborough. Is he a suspect in something? Did he finally gut punch Randall? Because I'd look the other way on that. Anna debated saying why, but she interrupted his night and he'd find out soon enough. Randall's dead, she said. Poisoned. Hmm. Probably that bitch in 307, Yarborough said. God, what a whiny little harpy. He hung up. Vic and Regina lived in 307. Regina. <laughs> Stan had already called his company, not just his boss. A woman waited for Gordo in Stan's assigned interrogation room. She stood with her arms folded. Anna, once again looking in from the outside, was impressed with how the attorney kept her business suit looking somewhat unrumpled. My client is not charged, his attorney said, then I want him released. 
Cordo set his iPad on the table. Counselor, you are familiar with the term person of interest, correct? How about material witness? I know he hasn't been charged with a crime. Beside her, Stan sat staring at the table. Legally, said Gordo, I can hold a material witness or a person of interest for up to 48 hours. Mr. Cheswiss has been advised of his rights, but he hasn't been charged. Now, to the point, your client, or should I say your employee, please don't say for that's what he is, Anna silently pleaded. Since that what is, since that's what he is, said Gordo. This should be a drinking game, Anna scolded herself. Mr. Cheswitz was present when Mr. Randall died, Gordo began. He had a bottle of strychnine in his toolbox, which was sitting on the counter when Mr. Holmes and Miss Mallory prepared and served drinks. While it's not finalized, all the symptoms Jake Randall displayed are consistent with strychnine poisoning. A few minutes before, he provoked your client here by playing a card against humanity with the caption, Dinner with Jeffrey Dahmer. Gordo shifted his focus to Stan. Motive? Jake Randall made your job difficult, then humiliated you on television. Means? You had the poison in your toolbox. Opportunity? You were in the kitchen when Mr. Holmes and Miss Mallory made the poison drink. What about the woman sitting with Jake, said Crossley, the lawyer. Why isn't she being looked at? We searched her purse, said Gordo. And the cop, she asked? Oh, screw you, bitch, Anna silently screamed at the lawyer. Gordo ro rolled his eyes. Counselor, do you really want to go there? Let's start with basic geography. It's kind of hard to poison a man from the bathroom. Now, perhaps you should let your client talk. We know his prints are going to be on that bottle. It's in his job description. Mr. Cheswitz, did you see anyone touch that bottle while the couple made drinks? And through... Stan threw up his hands, shaking his head. I was fixing the sink. Did you have any reason to move that bottle out of your toolbox? Asked Gordo. Why don't you ask Holmes and his vapid girlfriend, Stan said. She probably wanted to keep Jake from... Careful, said the attorney. Gordo leaned forward. Keep him from what, Mr. Cheswitz? Anna did not wait to hear the answer. She had her badge clipped on her belt which let her tell the officer outside the next interrogation room to turn on the recorder. She entered the room. Times 9.08 p.m., September 15, 2023, Detective Anna Friedman, Special Investigations. Regina Mallory looked up, bug-eyed. Why are you doing that? What happened between you and Jake? She leaned on the table. Tell me now. Was it Vic or you? I, I, she looked on the verge of tears. I didn't do anything. Anna pressed forward, ignoring the weak defense. Stan said he thought you wanted to keep Jake quiet about something. What was it? Regina broke down in tears. I slept with him. Jake or Stan? Anna knew it was a stupid question. However, the recording needed a name. Regina slammed her hands on the table. Jake, okay? I slept with Jake. Anna closed her eyes. You know I'm going to have to bring Detective Pearson in here. All right, Jack. You know, people get really judgy when you take naps with other people. Who cares if Regina <laughs> took a nap, okay? And who cares who else is involved? I think this is obstruction of nap time. And children all over the United States are at danger for being accused of napping. 
Think of how many people that we've all slept with. We've all slept, unless you were homeschooled. That explains why you're a little weird. But <laughs> Oh, yeah, in daycare, you'd, you'd uh, sleep with like 30 other people. Exactly. What whores children are. Anyway, I just want to You know what I think is also, really funny about that? What? You spend like the entire time from like age six months to six years fighting and refusing to take naps. And then you get to like, I don't know, middle high school, college and be like, naps are the most awesome thing ever. Oh, they're amazing. They're great. Also, I made a banger of a, of a, of a thing there. What's it called? This is a riff. I really like it. Real dramatic. You know, it feels like someone's about to like uh, get pulled off a cliff. Pulled? Push? You know, this is like if uh, Lord of the Rings was made in the early 2000s, which it was. But if it was like that grungy, oh uh, yeah, you know, J- uh, Jacob's eyes, you know, are so painted black with uh, mascara. You know, it's like a Twilight. Twilight meets... Lord of the Rings. That's what that song gives me. And I'm digging it. Anyway, let's figure out who uh, murdered someone. Well, first I want to ask people if they all figured out yet that we remain ad-free. Have you and figured it, out that we're I, ad-free? I think, you know, I, think I, I kind of remind people about it. And that exchange for us not making you all hit the fast-forward button because then you'd miss our witty banter, please do support our authors by checking out their backlist and picking up a title. This week is Jim Winner. Yay. Now, Detective Anna Friedman is never going to live down that Jake Randall died while she was on the toilet. Never. The best we can do is help her close this case fast. You know what? At least he didn't die on the toilet. <laughs> Here are the Cards Against Humanity players. So, of course, we have Anna Friedman herself, the detective, who is indisposed of at the critical time. Yes. We have Melanie Dunlop, Anna's partner, who wanted to play cards instead of listen to jazz. Yes. We have Vic Holmes, the party host and cocktail mis- mixer, misser, mixer. Yes. Regina Mallory, Vic's sweet, mousy girlfriend. Also oddly spelled close to vagina. I noticed that too. Vagina Mallory. <laughs> I was like, I wonder if that's on purpose. Did I, 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 didn't, me- I didn't mess up and say that, did I? No, no, you didn't. I was just wondering. Regina, oh, vagina. on the mind was just like, huh. Regina, I wonder where I got that name from. It just popped in my head. I was just, you know, lounging on my couch today. Yeah. Uh-huh. Stan Cheswitz, the building manager who was fixing the sink. Yes. Okay, so here are the facts that Anna and I guess Gordo have to work with. The five friends or, you know, recent acquaintances were playing cards against humanity. Uh-huh. Jake was high and he'd been drinking. He played his cards for maximum insult to the ladies. Only Regina seemed to be bothered. Got it. Stan carried a grudge against Jake for calling a TV station over a maintenance issue, which caused trouble for Stan with the home office. Okay. At break, Anna went to the bathroom. Melanie and Jake stayed at the table. Vic, Regina, and Stan were in the kitchen. Okay. Vic made five drinks, all bourbon with cream. Only Anna's didn't get cream. Regina poured the cream and served the drinks. Yes. The five players, less Anna drank a toast Uh, jake instantly sickened vic attempted to resuscitate him regina seemed panicked okay jake died of strychnine poisoning a compound stan kept in his toolbox for dealing with rats interesting so the question is which player has overplayed their hand okay now personally i think melanie's out of the question and i think even in the story they decided melanie's out of the question 
Um, only because I feel like if, I mean, Jake was crossed, you know, both high and drunk, I don't think he would have maybe noticed if, um, I just said her name, Melanie. Yeah. I wanted to say Melena. Melanie. Anyway, if, uh, if Melanie were to do something, he would notice. Also, if Melanie were to do something, everyone would have been there for that in the time that she had access to the drink. So I don't think it was Melanie. Um, Stan has a weird motive. I mean, it's not weird. Um, it's not weird, but it's also not planned. I Actually, agree. I don't think for anybody this is planned. This this feels like a very, uh, screw you, eh, murder. Also, I might be do wrong. Do you think that they was intended to murder, or do you think it was like, you know, maybe I'll just make him sick, but I, I personally would not know how much strychnine to give somebody that would, you know, thread that line of sick versus dead. Yeah, I had recently heard that rat poisoning you can't actually uh, die from because your body immediately vomits it. Hmm. Um, now, I might be wrong, so don't quote me on that, but I would like to look that up after. That's not anything to say against the author of this. I just, I had heard it, and then it was like, oh, I died of rat poisoning. I went, huh, cool. I mean, I'm sure people have died of rat poisoning before. I do know that uh, one of my good friends who has heart problems... Uh, he claims that rat poison is one of his medicines, of course, in very, 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 very tiny amounts. Yeah, I've heard that, too. Because doesn't it kill you by, like, I believe it, I like... something to your heart? No, I think no. it it uh, it's does something to blood vessels because it, it helps prevent against, like, blood clots. I think it, like... Oh, does it widen them? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then you, like, bleed out internally, which is it... totally gross. Gross. You know, I like when death is good and clean and in a book, so I don't have to see it. Yeah. May may all of our unnatural murders be fiction. Thank God. Here, here. Um, anyway, back to the topic. So, yeah, the, the real three suspects are... Um, Stan, Vic... And Regina. And Regina. Now, Regina... The fact that everybody views her as, like, the, a little annoying girl, and there isn't one person who's like, What? Really, Regina? No. The fact that, you know, she's viewed as that by everybody, even like the big boss guy that they called, I think that tells me that she doesn't have it in her to kill anyone. Because if she really did have that ability to be, you know, naturally, you know, nice and not, or mean, maybe not nice, but naturally mean and not just an annoying little twerp, then I would believe she had the ability to kill someone. But the fact that she's consistently across the board in all people's eyes just this annoying little person uh kind of tells me i don't think she could get angry enough at a guy to do murder so does her sleeping with jake come into play there at all i um don't care about that okay <laughs> i suppose it should play a factor personally i don't think it matters whether you, you slept with uh, sleeping with him just what gives him motive gives her motive and a weird one. Not a great motive either. Um, I think it gives uh, Vic a motive. Um, mm. But he also immediately started um, CPR or resuscitative stuff. Yeah, that's true. However, uh, if he is dying of strychnine poisoning, that wouldn't have done anything anyway. So if he knew that that's how he was going to die, he probably knew he could go try and do resuscitative measures and that it wouldn't have worked because you're basically just by pumping his heart you're actually probably just 
making the effects worse. And we're not doctors. We just play doctors on this podcast and know, have actually no real idea. No clue. I just <laughs> imagine. Think of the math here. If strychnine makes blood flow more than trying to resuscitate him, the answer probably isn't to beat his heart for him. I don't know. Because uh, a still heart is still dead. A still heart is still dead. But was his heart still when he was just, well, I guess he had, I don't know. Was he mm -hmm. dead at that point? I don't know. I don't know. It wasn't when Melanie called because she said he was still alive. It wasn't. And it sounded like he succumbed to whatever he was dying from while uh, Anna was documenting the scene. Yeah. So, basically, I don't know. Because <laughs> I just eliminated <laughs> all the suspects. Okay, then um, do rock, paper, scissors and pick one. <laughs> rock, paper, scissors. Okay, I'm going to go with Vic then. Okay. Um. I take it back. I'm going to go with Regina. Okay. For the sole fact of, I feel like this is a, oh, we never thought she could have done it. I think it's that one of mysteries. Okay. One of those. So that's so, my answer. So Jack's locked in on Regina. All you amateur sleuths out there, lock in yourselves. A quick reminder that our ebook and print book companions for seasons four, five, and six and, and season seven are available. Uh, the part one for season seven, which is called Opening Gambit, releases in March 2024, with part two coming in September. Buy one for yourself and a mystery lover you love. Uh, the nickels and dimes for the book sales do support our podcast, and they keep Jack from coming down with ramenitis, which is what happens when you eat only ramen. All right, let's get on with the big reveal called Prince. Anna and Gordo gathered the assorted partygoers into one room with the lawyers who'd been called. An older guy named Kozar came at the request of one of Anna's squad mates to represent Melanie. The corporate lawyer, of course, represented Stan on behalf of the property owner. Vic's ambulance-chasing brother-in-law arrived to represent him. No one seemed to represent Regina. Both younger lawyers seemed starstruck by Melanie's attorney, whose ad had run for years asking if you were injured, have you thought about injury? Can you fake an injury? A Jake joke, if there ever was one. Gordo had drawn out Vic's apartment on the whiteboard with everyone's name in the position when Jake collapsed. Jake, a stick figure with X's for eyes. Anna shook her head when she saw it, even less impressed by the stick figure on the toilet. Now that we have yours, that was an awesome line. <laughs> now that we have your statement, said Gordo, here's what we've come up with. No one disputes Detective Anna Freeman was in the bathroom when the drinks were being made, and Jake Randall collapsed. Are we in agreement? Nods all around the room, even from Stan, who otherwise glared at no one in particular. Anna joined Gordo at the front of the room. While I was in the bathroom, reading Gareth Powell, said Melanie. Gordo laughed, Vic laughed, even Stan managed a chuckle. The lawyers are sported sour expressions. <clears throat> Anna cleared her throat. While I was in the john, Melanie stayed at the table, chatting with our victim. Stan worked on the sink. Vic and Regina went into the kitchen to set up drinks. How are we so far? Nods all around. Good, she said. Now Stan, you claim you never took the poison out of your toolbox, yet you had some animosity toward Jake over his Jeffrey Dahmer comments. Almost cost me my job, Stan muttered. We only found two set of prints on the bottle, said Gordo, obviously. One is Mr. Cheswitz here. He has to handle it. It's in his job description. 
but we found one other. Vic and Regina stared at each other. Vic, did you have reason to resent Jake? asked Anna. His lawyer-slash-brother-in-law grabbed Vic's arm. Don't answer that. I asked you to tell me, Gordo continued, whose prints we would find on that bottle, besides Stan, of course. Vic stood silently, still staring at Regina. Whose prints are on the bottle, asked Anna. One of you clearly knew who would get one drink. Mine had no cream in it. Stan had no clue. His prints aren't on any of the glasses. Vic could have used a towel to handle it, Regina blurted out. She began to tremble. My client, said the brother-in-law, denies. Shut up, said Gordo. Whose prints are they? Vic's mouth twisted. Finally, he said, mine, okay? They're mine. His brother-in-law punched him in the arm. The corporate lawyer shook her head. Cozart watched impassively, most likely seeing wor worse in his long career. Then explain why Regina's around the bottle, said Anna. To Regina, she said, tell Vic why. I know why, Vic said. Regina, they're just stupid cards. You've played with... We hooked up, Regina said. Jake was so drunk he would have blurted it out. Why do you think he kept playing those cards? Gordo motioned a Rock Ridge officer into the room. Take Miss Mallory to booking. Let her call a lawyer. Regina began crying as the uniform officer took her away. Melody stepped over to Anna. Next time you and I get in on a card game. Stick with Uno, Anna said. Hard to get in trouble with Uno, Melanie said. And from now on, when you say you want to go to the jazz club, we'll go. The end. I was right, bitches. You, you were right. <laughs> Man, that was weird. Um, you were right on a last-minute mind change. On a last-minute mind change. I mean, change. Regina. <laughs> I was, look, it, I got the vibe that it was a... Uh, you got the vibe? No, no. We, it wouldn't be her, because even I was falling for it. I fell for it. <laughs> you almost got me, whoever wrote this. Jim. Jim, Jim. Winner. Not Bob Summer. Jim, Jim. Winner. Oh, I'm... I'm silly. I was I was getting something mixed up in my head, and I don't want to say what it was because it's embarrassing. Then please don't. I will not. <laughs> I'm gonna not. Well, Jim, I will say this. Um, uh, never mind. I won't. I forgot it. Cool story, bro. Cool, cool dude. Um, I I like the. She uh, murdered someone because she slept with him and was gonna tell someone else. And he was gonna. People have killed for dumber reasons well that's why i wonder if she really intended to kill him or yeah. whether she just intended to make him sick i don't know maybe she it didn't intend that maybe she did intend to kill him because even if he would have been sick he could have just blurted it out the next day yeah, i don't know only if he'd been high and drunk in front of him she's she demonstrated supreme bad judgment sleeping with that guy between sleeping with him and then deciding how am I going to deal with this? Well, let's just give him rat poisoning. <laughs> Dude, rat poisoning? Also... Poison is a women's weapon, they say. I think that's... I don't know if that's a wives' tale or not. Uh, well, well... A wives' tale. My, my, other, my other big question, uh, if I can remember it. I had it in my mind, and then you said poison's a wives' whatever. And um, it was, why did Vic defend her? Because Vic must have known that she was poisoning him well i you know i'm it guessing like vic knew i'm guessing that 
you know, if his girlfriend and he loved her, that he was trying to take part of the blame. Maybe he suspected that, you know, he would ultimately, it would be found out that he didn't do it. He clearly didn't know she had slept with Jake. Yeah, but that's why I'm trying to think, if he didn't know why why she slept with Jake, why would he just be like, yeah, put rat poisoning in her cup? I guess that's assuming that, that he saw it while she was doing it. Oh, and I, would, I didn't I think assume, of that. I assumed she or he saw while she was doing it. I didn't um, think why of that. Why else would yeah. he feel the need to protect her? Yeah, and and if that they were just in a kitchenette and Stan had his head underneath the sink, and why then... not why not go harder on Stan and say it was Stan's poisoning? And you know, Stan, I in my opinion, had more of an more of a motive than he would. You know, Vic is more far fetched in in the concept that uh he would be murdering Jake. Well, I think the you know when it comes to the clues, the fact that um, Stan's fingerprints were not on any of the glasses, he well, couldn't I, have known which. If he poisoned one, it would have been like playing a game of Russian roulette. He would not have known which of the card players would have gotten that. That that I get. Um, that point I agree with. But the whole his his fingertips or his fingerprints were on the cups. He, he could have just you're done right. It. He, he could have just poured a little and used a spoon. You're right. He could have. But, but as far as who would have actually gotten it, that would not have worked. It wouldn't have. You are correct in that. Do you want to learn a little bit about Cards Against Humanity? That and uh, Jim Winner, of course. Jim Winner. So Cards Against Humanity wasn't the brainchild of some corporate toy company. The party game for horrible people was started by a group of friends creating a game of their own for a New Year's Eve party. In 2010, they put up a Kickstarter that got them going. According to the Cards Against Humanity website, they made a lot of money and did a lot of stupid things with the money and then gave a bunch of money to charity to balance it out. It was a pretty awesome website because that's pretty much what it said. The point of the game is to make jokes and have fun. Apparently, the formula is a winner. A 2018 report showed Amazon alone sold between 90,000 and 120,000 units of the game or the expansions each month. Fun fact, a free download of the game PDF is available from their website. With a little arts and crafts time, you can make your own Cards Against Humanity set. Their website is in the show notes. So now, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Jim Winner. Jim Winner is a crime fiction name of the science fiction author T.S. Hoddle. He published his first novel as Jim Winner in 2005 with North Coast Shakedown, the debut novel of Cleveland P.I. Nick Kepler. He also wrote Road Rules, A Road Trip from Hell. For many years as Jim Winner, he wrote short stories for Thrilling Detective, Plots with Guns, and more recently, the Steely Dan-inspired anthology, A Beast with No Name. His essays and articles also appear in January Magazine, The Rap Sheet, and Mystery Scene. After taking a break to be T.S. Hoddle and focus on science fiction, he returned to crime fiction. In 2020, he signed a deal with Down and Out Books to publish Holland Bay, best described as The Wire meets 87th Precinct. He lives in Cincinnati, where he works as a software developer and shares a Cape Cod with his wife Candy, who is one of Nick Kepler's biggest fans. So crime fiction lovers, check out Jim's website for his backlist. And if you cross over into science fiction or love someone who does, point them to T.S. Hoddle. All of Jim's links are in the show notes. 
That wraps up this episode of Mysteries to Die For. Support our show by subscribing, telling a mystery lover about us, giving us a five-star review. Check out our website, tgwolf.com forward slash podcast for links to this season's authors. Mysteries to Die For is hosted by T.G. Wolf and Jack Wolf. Cards Against Jake was written by Jim Winner. Music and production are by Jack Wolf. Episode art is by T.G. Wolf. Join us next week for a toe tag, as you all know, a first chapter from a fresh release in mystery, crime, or thriller. Come back in two weeks for our next original story, Hard Scrabble by K.M. Rockwood, where Scrabble is the featured game. All right, Jack, do us... Do us a solid and take us out.